Good morning. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. What a beautiful start to our Christmas season. Uh, if you weren't here last week, um, I told our church that uh, this is our first full Christmas season at home in over a decade. So next week will be one year since we moved in here. So it's a, it's a very special time of year for us. So I want to make sure that we don't, we don't miss that. So uh, it's a very, very big deal for us. Uh, we now have a central base to sort of launch mission out of, launch church planning. So all kinds of great things that uh, are coming. So make sure you come to that annual meeting tonight uh, so you can hear a little bit more about some of those things. Uh, my name's Chris. If we haven't met, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and so I get to teach us God's word this morning. And so my job and my goal this morning is to really go after one question. And is that it's this. Is your heart in alignment with Scripture? Do you believe what it says? Will you follow it? Will you pay attention? So we're going to go after that today. And we're going to go after that in our series that we're doing here during Advent. There's this beautiful verse from Isaiah where it says, He shall be called... And he gives these four names. It says that he will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And so last week, Pastor Greg talked about wonderful counselor. So today we're going to work down this list and we're going to go to mighty God. All right, guys, that didn't click. All right, you're going to have to follow me as best you can, all right? Oh, treasure seekers. Hey, that was not my fault. No, just even. All right, so we didn't dismiss the kids. I'm so sorry. We'll just do a restart, okay? You can tell we keep it so tight and perfect all the time, right? No. All right, so kids, first through six, you guys are free to go. All right? So <laughs> sorry for the uh, delay in that. So now we're working. Now we got this remote working. Thank you, guys. You guys are fantastic. All right, so kids, God bless you guys. All right, are we ready? We need to do a break, stretch, you good? All right, we're serving. All right, so we're talking about this name that was given to Jesus before he was born called Mighty God. So I want to get you started thinking about that word mighty. What does it mean? When's the last time you used it? Can you remember? It shows up in like weird phrases like, this is mighty good tasting food. That was a mighty big mistake. That's a pretty mighty awful Christmas sweater. Right? Now, I don't know. I don't know when the last time it is that you used it. So I went looking and I said, well, let's try to find some examples of what it means to be mighty. So I found a few that are out there. We have Mighty Mouse, right? It's an oxymoron that a mouse could be mighty. We have the Mighty Taco. Some of you music aficionados, the Mighty Mighty Boston's, the Mighty Ducks. Some of you remember some of those? Tarzan, the Mighty. We have the mighty Chewbacca from Star Wars. We have the mighty pups for the little kids, the mighty Avengers. We have this beautiful book written by Dr. Seuss about which side of the butter toast would be the most powerful, the ones that serve it down or the ones that serve it up. And it's this whole thing about who has more power than the other so that they can win and get their way. So when you skim through all of these things, you find all of these versions of mighty. We also have some mighty costume makers in our church. Um, that was from our district Christmas party. It was a good time with that. But when you think about being mighty, it usually comes with some sort of like extraordinary power or skill. We usually put mighty in the superhero realm or in the, the most powerful realm. Even the first guy in scripture, his name was Nimrod. Um, his, he was actually called the mighty man. He was a mighty hunter. He's the first one in the Bible called a mighty man. Now, when you hear Nimrod today, though, you don't think, wow, that's mighty. 
You think, well, that's a moron. You know where that came from? Bugs Bunny. <laughs> he called Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. So that's where, that's where it became negative for us. But Nimrod in Scripture is actually somebody that's mighty. So when you go into the Scriptures, I went through the Old Testament and I looked up the word mighty because I wanted to have a, a bigger biblical understanding of it. And there's, you can be mighty in a lot of different ways. You can be mighty in your voice. You can be mighty in your crowd. Uh, you can be mighty in your size. Uh, I'm, I've got a little bit of a belly. And so when we were in uh, the Dominican Republic the first time, I was with this guy. He sat in the back of the truck with me, and the two guys were talking in Spanish, and he's like, El Gordo. <laughs> so he's like, the, the fat one. What do you think about that guy? <laughs> so, so you can be mighty in a lot of different ways. Um, there's a lot of those things that, that come along with mighty. But the basic definition is possessing great and impressive power or strength, especially on account of size, right? So sort of startling, it's sort of startling to me that when we come to this Isaiah verse that we're using to kind of frame up this series, he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But did you see what Isaiah did here? A child. How in the world could a child be called mighty? Well, you go, well of course, he's got to be born. He's going to grow up and be tough. Well, duh. But Isaiah could have written that, right? He could have said, a great warrior is going to come, a man of valor, a great hunter, this amazing, powerful brute of a man is going to come. But he didn't. He said, a child is going to come. A child will be considered mighty. We see that in the story of Jesus is who this verse is about. We see it when Herod, the king of that time, gets a little freaked out that this child has come. So he sends people out looking for him. We know that the Magi were hunting and waiting for this child to come. And we, I imagine that probably every pregnant woman in Bethlehem at that time probably got a visit. Like, is this the child that's to come? There's something special about this child that's coming into the world. He will be called Mighty. Now, we obviously, in our day, we have the luxury of knowing that this prophecy of Isaiah was about Jesus. So you have to fast forward a little bit and connect it to the New Testament. So how mighty is this child? Well, look what the angel said to Mary. Don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. That's an incredible picture of this child that's coming into the world. This is not just the average child. This is a child of royal descent. And he will be great. But how great? What kind of great? Great like Nimrod the hunter? great like the kings of old who had just tons of power or just whatever they said became rules for everyone, that they could exercise their will, that they had all the military clout and anything that they ever wanted, they would take all the spoils of war and wear the crown and lord over the people. Those are some of the kingdoms of the world. That's what they look like. But what about this child? What will he be like? If he's going to be mighty, how mighty? Mighty in what ways? When I look at what Mary sings a little later in her story, I think she gives us a clue as to what it's going to be like. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, 
My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary does not sing a song that says, this child that's going to come into the world is going to be so great and powerful and strong and amazing. He's just going to slay his enemies. He's going to knock walls over and be a great military leader. She doesn't say he's going to possess all of this land because he's so strong and he's going to take all of the possessions and tax people and just exercise whatever he wants on any whim that he has. She doesn't say that. She gives a different kind of song and a different kind of definition of what it means to be mighty. So I want you to get this point about Mary's songs. I believe that song is Mary's words are giving us a new definition of what it means to be mighty. It's not just what we think of when we think of all of those other things that could be mighty. Now, when you, I looked at all those words of the Old Testament, and there's lots of those words are around the power and the strength of somebody. But when you go into the New Testament, and when Mary starts talking about this, mighty gets a new definition. And it gets a definition in these two words, that there would be mighty works or mighty deeds. Not just mighty in power, not just mighty uh, in you know, physical strength or supernatural abilities. Those things are true to be mighty in them. But she puts it in a different context for us. And the Gospels put it in a different context. There's more words there, but in the Gospels, these are the words referred to and used for mighty. That there would be mighty works or mighty deeds. So when we're talking about this child coming into the world, I want to go after this question. How is Jesus a mighty God? Mary gives us a new definition. So does that definition even fit Jesus? And I know some of you would be, you know, Bible scholars enough to say, well, Mary isn't really talking about Jesus. She's talking about God here. So, but listen, Jesus is going to be called a mighty God. So what we're going to do is we're going to take what Mary said about God and we're going to see if it fits in Jesus. We're going to see if the things that she says about God are also true about Jesus. Because if he's going to be called a mighty God, the things that are true about God should be true about Jesus. So let's do a little bit of heavy lifting, a little bit of Bible study here. So we're going to press into this. So we're going to jump in at Luke 1, verse 48. So this is where you want to take notes. This is where you want to check and see if I'm correct or not. So Mary says something very powerful here at the beginning of her song in verse 48. It says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now, when you think about the things that were going on in the time of Israel and in those days, maybe you remember when I talked about this before, but they're in what's called the 400 years of silence. There's been all of this turmoil, all of this upheaval. They've gone from Persian rule all the way to Roman rule. So all of the things of their day, all of the religious facets are now under the oppression of false gods, of a, of a government that thinks that their emperor is actually God himself. They're in that situation and so when God comes and speaks to Mary, he's coming down and he's talking to her in the midst of this time where the Romans dominate the Jews, and he steps into her mess and into her brokenness and into her story and speaks that beautiful word to her, that you're going to have a son. So she says, that 
God has stepped into my mess. He's looked at the humble estate of his servant, and he's doing something. And so what I think about that is I think Mary's describing how God steps into people's situations, where he takes a look, and he steps into that mess, and he steps into that brokenness, and he offers some hope. Do you see that in Jesus anywhere? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of those stories in Jesus, right, when we fast forward a little bit? It's one of my favorite stories where they lower the man down through the roof, and Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. He stepped into that brokenness with that man, and he gave him hope. You see the things with the healing of the man born blind, where he had never seen, he had never seen anything, and Jesus shows up, and now he can see clearly. Jesus stepped into his mess and his brokenness, and he gave him a, a new story. We see it with the man with the shriveled hand, where Jesus just simply says, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out, and his hand comes back. We see it with the woman at the well who had been through all kinds of crazy things in her life. And the end of her story, she says, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. You see Jesus step into these situations, into this mess and this brokenness, just like God did for Mary. We walk away with that conclusion that Jesus is a mighty God. Mary continues, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. When I read this and I say, what is Mary describing? Mary is describing generational blessing. She's describing something where God has stepped into her mess and her brokenness. And out of that stepping in, God has drastically altered her story. If it's not for this moment between her and God, we probably don't ever hear about a girl named Mary who was married to Joseph and all of that. We just we have another person. We have somebody else. But we have Mary we have this story that goes on, not just from a family lineage that just stays in that family, but we have a story that goes on from generation to generation. Here we are all these years later, almost 2,020 years later, still talking about her. Because Jesus stepped in and he gave her a new story. He gave her a story that goes, or God stepped in and gave her a story that goes from one generation to the next. And that story becomes useful over and over and over again. So I ask that question, where do we see that in Jesus' life? Do you ever see Jesus give somebody a new story? Yeah, we see him give a new story to this woman that comes into the Pharisee's house and starts washing his feet with her tears, dries them up with her hair. He says, wherever the gospel is preached, the story of this woman will be told. We're still talking about her. There's the man that had the thousand demons inside of him, where Jesus brings healing to him. And then he goes to the 10 cities and he tells about the man who healed him. He gave him a new story. And I'm sure there are many other stories, like everybody Jesus encounters has a new story. He's drastically changed their life. So for every life encounter that you have with Jesus, you get a new story or a new part of your story. And that's not just a story just for you. That's a story for generations to come, just like these people. You see, Jesus is a mighty God. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I just want to press on mercy for a little bit. Mercy is, is described as God manifesting his activity on behalf of his people to free them from slavery. You guys remember scripture definition of slavery is a man is a slave to whatever masters him. So if there's anything mastering your life that's not of God, God wants to give you mercy to set you free from that. Do you ever see that in Jesus' story? 
routinely you see people, he's walking down the road. They're like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. There's two blind men that show up and they start calling out. And Jesus walks over and he says, what do you need? He said, we want to see. He said, I will bring my strength and I will give you a new reality. I will give you mercy and set you free from the blindness that binds you. You see those stories in Jesus' life. Jesus is a mighty God. Verse 51, he's shown strength with his arm. Now, I know we said there's a different way to describe might than strength, but I want to describe a little bit different of a strength that I see with Jesus because you don't see Jesus really kind of like flex his muscle and just, just power over people and bulldoze them in his story. You don't really see that. You see a different take on Jesus where the arm of God is strong, right? It's a strength that's to deliver, to support, to conquer, or here you go, ready? A strength that protects. So when Jesus shows up in this story and he says, let the little children come to me, this is a beautiful picture of his strength. He takes those kids and he brings them in and he says, the kingdom of God belongs to kids like this. I turn into like a blithering idiot when I get around a baby. Because <laughs> I love to hold them. I love to pick them up. Every day when I come home, one of my kids runs to the front door. I got first hug with dad. Why? Because there's nothing like the embrace of a father. I even look back and I, I mean, I've talked a little bit about my challenges with my dad, but some of the best moments I have are the hugs. It's not a lot of them, but there are some. So when I think about it, I think about this story of the strength that Jesus shows. It's not just bulldozing people over or being a bully kind of God. He shows up and he brings a protection. He brings a warmth. He grabs a hold and he pulls you in. And he says, it's my pleasure to give you a kingdom, little child. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus is a mighty God. 51. He scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. See, in the Old Testament, to be prideful would be generally considered that you are someone that should be associating with the wicked or the arrogant or the presumptuous. So it's no doubt that Mary says that God would be one who would take the proud and he would scatter them. And do you ever see Jesus do that? Do you ever see Jesus take the proud and scatter them? He does. He does it in this story right here when he teaches about what is clean and unclean. He says, I know what goes on in the heart, and out of the heart come all of these evil things. He lays them out, and he explains what they are. And he says, this is not how it's supposed to be. So if you don't want to be unclean, deal with what's inside your hearts. Jesus goes on, and with those Pharisees, when they let that man down through the roof, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And inside they're thinking, and they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, how can Jesus forgive sins? Who is this guy? And the scriptures say, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, they never said anything. And he says, why are you thinking that in your heart? He called them out. He knew exactly what they were thinking before they even said it. And Jesus calls them out on it in the midst of that crowd. He says, watch this. He scattered the proud in their hearts, the thoughts of their hearts. So Jesus is a mighty God. This one in verse 52. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. 
this is a little bit tougher of a one, right? Like we can go back to the Old Testament. We can find all kinds of stories where, you know, God overthrew Pharaoh. You can see the stories of Nebuchadnezzar and all these things where, where God was clearly the one stepping in and overthrowing kingdoms. So where does Jesus do that? That's a little tougher to find because some of it hasn't happened yet. But there was one story that I thought of. It's when he goes into the temple, he makes a whip, fashions it up, and he goes in and he drives out the money changers because what they were doing is they were inhibiting the nations from worshiping God. He says, I will not let you stop my worship. I will stand against that. And so Jesus flips their tables over and cleanses the temple. We'll see it again in Revelation when he comes. It says that they will make war on the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus is coming. He's going to finish that one. He started it back then, but he's not done with it. Jesus is a mighty God. Another thing that Mary says God does is that he's exalted those of humble estate. Now, when you think about this estate thing, that's kind of a weird word for us. So what does it mean to have a humble estate? Well, in this situation, it means that your position would be low. You would be the low person on the totem pole. You would be the one that's looked down on. You would be the one that's maybe mistreated, abused, oppressed, maligned, looked at wrongly. You say, well, where does Jesus do that? Where does he take those who are humble and bring them up? Well, he talks about it in a parable of the wedding feast. He says, don't just sit in the front seat when you get invited to a party. Don't come and take the seat of honor because then the guest may say, get out of that seat. That doesn't belong to you. And you'd be embarrassed in front of everybody. But he says, if you want to, to take the humble place, sit at the far end of the table. And then if the host wants to move you up, he'll honor you by moving you up. I do this every time I go to a party, a quinceanera, a wedding, whatever it is. You know where I sit? I sit as far away from the food line as I can. You know why? Because that's the table that goes first. Right? If you sit up front all the time, you're going to be waiting. You might be embarrassed. But Jesus says, take the low seat, and then the guests will honor you. He's doing that over and over and over again. He's exalting those who take the humble road. Now, I'm not saying that I'm exalted by that. You get the joke, right? Okay, good. All right, good. So Jesus is a mighty God. It says he has filled the hungry with good things. One of the aspects that Mary describes about God is that he is a provider. He is one that cares and he gives in a time of need. Do you ever see that in the story of Jesus? Absolutely. Feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Those are pretty easy for us, right? I don't think I've ever seen a picture quite like this, like the hillside filled with thousands of people. Jesus said, I have compassion on them. Let's give them something to eat. He talks on the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just talking about regular food here. He's talking about the things of God. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's a big thing. I got a, I got a text from somebody this week. They were just reflecting on some things. And they put it this way. They said, at every point in history, for big and small, rich and poor, all of humanity hinges on the answer to this one question. Will there be provision? Will God really provide? If you don't believe that, you will fret and you'll be filled with anxiety and worry. If you trust your God to provide, it says, humble yourself and he will fill you with good things. Jesus is a mighty God. Verse 53, 
He sent the rich away empty. See, to those who trust in their riches or in their own self-righteousness, God is not in the habit of making deals with those people. He will come and he will stand against that. Do you ever see Jesus do that? Yeah. Rich young ruler, right? He gives him that command, go sell all you have and give to the poor. Why? So that he could have nothing? No, because it was a lesson in greed. It was a lesson that he could be self-righteous and work his way in. So Jesus comes against that and he challenges it. And it says he went away sad. We have no idea if he sold his possessions and did what he told him to do or not. But we know he walked away because he had to deal with that reality. So Jesus sent that rich man away empty. So Jesus is a mighty God. We have one more. Stay with me. Verse 54, 55. Mary wraps up her song, says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. What Mary is describing there is the promise of the Messiah that was given. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It was given to Abraham that one descendant would come from his line. And so where do we see that promise fulfilled in Christ? We see it in the crucifixion. But not just there. We see it again in the resurrection. It's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. That Jesus is that fulfillment of what God has been saying. And the Apostle Paul gives us these beautiful words from 2 Corinthians. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's why through him that we are able to utter amen to the glory of God. So I want you to see Mary keeps describing over and over again that Jesus is a mighty God. So Mary gives us this new definition about what it means to be mighty. She reframes it for us. It's not just about the supernatural strength of some beast of a human. She says there is a one that's coming that's going to do mighty deeds and mighty works. So we go from that baby Jesus born in the manger and we fast forward all those things that Mary said and look at them in Jesus' life. We cannot but help walk away with that conclusion that Jesus is a mighty God. So we've been talking about that. So what are we going to do with this? So we've gone really broad. We've looked at mighty from all the scriptures. We've looked at it in God and Jesus. Now, what are we going to do with it here? Well, there's one more thing that was said about this child that I want to make sure we don't miss. It comes from a story about a man named Simeon who was hanging out in the temple, and he believed that the Holy Spirit told him that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. So Mary and Joseph, on the eighth day, they bring Jesus to the temple. They're going to dedicate him, similar to what we did today, a little more ceremony maybe than what we had, but there's this beautiful thing of the dedication of Jesus. And so they come into the temple, and Simeon sees Jesus. So the promise that God gave him comes true. And this is what he said about Jesus. He took Jesus in his arms, and he says, You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. This child is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It's a light for those that don't know God. And he's the glory of your people, Israel. And Mary and Joseph marveled at that. Not the first time they had heard it. Mary had declared it in her song. So Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
So Jesus' might, as all this has been declared about him, Simeon sort of brings it together for us. He says, this child is for falling and for rising of many. It's a beautiful picture. So Simeon sums that up. He says, Jesus is going to be a light for the Gentiles. It's going to be the glory of the people of God. He is going to come and he is going to raise up those. That raising word is a resurrection word. He's coming to raise up those who believe and he's coming to cast down those who don't. He is one for rising and for many. And he will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. So when Jesus comes to you, when you encounter him, will it be for your rising or your falling? If Jesus comes and he reveals the thoughts of your heart, what will be revealed? Now we say heart. Somebody asked me recently, they said, what do you mean in church when you say your heart? Let me just clarify that a little bit. We're not talking about the cardiac pump that pumps blood through your body. You guys get that, right? We're talking about your other heart. We're talking about the heart that is inside you. Andy Stanley helps give us some clarity on this. He says that invisible part of you that philosophers, poets, and songwriters and preachers refer to all the time. It's that part of you that got broken in the ninth grade when that boy or that girl dumped you. It's that part of you that swells up with pride when you see your kids do something great. It's that thing that gets all nostalgic inside of you when you listen to Journey or some other music. Right? It's that part of you when your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend, they sit down near you and you go, oh, it's that part of you. It's that part of you that when the, the coach puts your kid on the bench during the all-star game and you never get to play and you want to just strangle that coach. It's the mysterious, wonderful, confusing part of you that enables you to love, to laugh, to fear, and to experience this life. It's where your relationships happen. It's where relationships are broken. It's where forgiveness comes. It's where you deal with jealousy, anger, guilt, greed, celebration, joy, sacrifice, your will, your determination. I can go on and on. It's where your happiness, your freedom, your love. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that place in you, your heart the unguarded, unfiltered, unbehavior-modified, unmasked, real you. The you when no one's looking. God's desire is that he would search that out and he would exchange the broken for many. So when Jesus comes and we talk about Advent and the coming of Christ, this child grows up and he dies on the cross and he comes back to life and he's going to come again and he's going to reveal what's in that heart of yours. And he's going to declare it to everyone. He's going to take all of the secrets that are there and he's going to make them known to all. So I asked at the very beginning, is your heart in alignment with the word of God? When Jesus comes, a mighty God, is he coming to you for your falling or for your rising? This is a time for some deep reflection. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for his coming? When he comes, will he look at you and see that you are humble in a state or will he look at you and find you arrogant? Will he look at you and call you blessed or we look at you and say, get away from me, I never knew you. 
Will he come and bring his strength on your behalf? Or will he find you trusting in your own? When he comes, will you be exalted? Will you be lifted up by him? Or will he say, no, you're too proud. I can't handle you and scatter you. Will he find you hungry for the things of God? Or will he find you satisfied in your own self-worth and self-value? When he comes, will he find you in need of a savior or trusting in your own works? So friends, I say to us, I say, we need a mighty God. We need a mighty God who can deal with your heart. And we go, well, duh. Of course we need a mighty God. Right? No one wants a wimpy or mediocre God. Nobody wants a God that's like 50% strong. Nobody wants a God that's like just, just almost equal with me, but not quite. No, we really want a God to rule and to be good. So we need to rest, reset ourselves a little bit. We need to realize our need for a mighty God, especially in a time like this that's so focused on him but so lost sometimes. And to bring our brokenheartedness before him. Be ready for his arrival. Now, I'm going to give you a Tim Keller quote. Um, I know we haven't had one for a few weeks, so I figured it was time. But this one's just really, really good. It says, if God is real, why do we assume that he will perfectly align with our views? If he never challenges our assumptions, you may have a made-up God. We should expect God to challenge us on what we think is right somewhere in our lives. You can, he gives a few examples, economically, socially, sexually, or personally. I just took his list and I went crazy with it. God needs to challenge us somewhere in our hearts. There's always something, I think there's always something in our hearts that God wants to address. So when Jesus comes, is he going to come to raise us up? Or is he going to come and knock us over? You can trust him with your heart, friend. He's not some tyrannical superpower, but he's a God whose very nature is love and provision and holy and righteous. Will God provide for you? Will God provide what you need? See, you need a God who is able to step into your mess and brokenness and lift you up but you need a God who's strong enough to stand against you when you're in the wrong. That's actually a loving 